Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And this episode is going to be a brief update on the episode that we did a few days following the 60 Minutes episode that featured whistleblower David Nilsson and church finance. So this is going to be an interesting episode because there's a little bit more information that's come to light recently that we thought our listeners and viewers might find beneficial. So Landon, why don't you tell everybody what we're going to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So after the 60 Minutes episode, uh, David Nilsson's lawyer, his name's Michael Sullivan, uh, put out a, a press release telling basically what the charges were that they had filed. If you remember, I think it was back in February, they filed a 90-page uh, briefing uh, whistleblower complaint against the federal government or against the church with the federal government uh, against Ensign Peak and the church. Um, and so he goes on to basically outline what those complaints are and why they think they're valid. And after that point, uh, we released our episode last Tuesday, the Deseret News through the church's uh, newsroom released a pretty scathing article uh, saying that, you know, that 60 Minutes ignored all the good things the church did and just wanted to point out the bad things the church did and uh, said that uh, they were unfounded allegations that they were making, even though they've already been found guilty on the SEC on the fraudulent 13F forms that they were filling out. So um, it just amazes you that they could even say that when they've just paid a $5 million fine uh, for the allegations. But yeah, if you go like this, it part. didn't happen. It, it never happened. <laughs> it didn't happen. It never happened. <laughs> That's right. Just ignore what happened there. So we're going to go in and we're going to uh, actually go over the, the press release from his lawyer. And we're going to read through it. And we're going to see what it is that they filed with the federal government. And then he goes on and he got interviewed by the Salt Lake Tribune on Friday, uh, the 19th of May, and which point they... Uh, he updated a little bit of information that we didn't hear in the 60 Minutes investigation, which tells a little bit maybe where the investigation is and where the investigation is going. So, yeah, and uh, I thought this was really good because, uh, you know, we've heard filing, the filing, but we don't know exactly what they said. So this statement kind of goes through that. And to me, it was very interesting, even though I followed everything else about it. There were new things in here that I had not seen expressed exactly in the way that they are. So I think it's important just to read through it. And, and it'll go really fast, but very interesting. Yeah, it's pretty short. This can be a short episode. We just wanted to get this information out. So um, Michael Sullivan, as I said, is the uh, attorney who represents David Nelson. Uh, he's a former federal prosecutor with more than 30 years of experience in civil and criminal litigation. Uh, he represents whistleblowers worldwide under the False Claims Act uh, in the IRS whistleblower program. So this is what he does. This is his specialty is whistleblower law. Uh, he was consulted by Congress in drafting the SEC whistleblower provisions of the Dodd-Frank financial reform law in 2020. Um, he's met with the SEC and the CFTC commissioners to advise them on rules for their programs. And he's defended businesses and individuals in white collar criminal investigations and prosecutions, including financial fraud and tax investigations. So he's been around the block a few times with these whistleblower allegations. Uh, I think it's fair to say he knows what he's doing. Obviously, yeah. he's the lawyer for David Nilsson. And so you're going to get uh, David Nilsson uh, side of the story uh, from him. But it uh, this is an interesting uh, 
look at what it is they have or what it is they're claiming that they presented uh, to the IRS to investigate. So uh, we wanted to go ahead and get started by actually reading that. Uh, and uh, we'll go through, it's just three pages long, and we're going to go through it uh, paragraph by kind of the paragraph. It has headings in it, and we'll talk about each one. So he starts out, this is the statement uh, that he put out, and this was the day after the 60 Minutes article or the 60 Minutes episode aired. He says, on 60 Minutes, LDS Church admits bailout of for-profit business by Ensign Peak, which shows Ensign Peak cannot be tax exempt. That's, that's his claim. Since ordinary citizens must obey the law, should the IRS and Department of Justice permit politically powerful church organizations to flout the law? This week, 60 Minutes broadcast a bombshell admission by an LDS church representative. He confirmed our whistleblower client, David Nelson's contention that the supposedly nonprofit Ensign Peak Advisors, Inc. bailed out a for-profit insurance company owned by the church. The amount, $600 million. A leading tax expert told 60 Minutes that it is a problem if they have moved money from a nonprofit to a for-profit. The expert, Professor Phil Hackney, also warned there's a real risk to the rule of law if the IRS does not come in and enforce those rules. Under US law, the $600 million insurance company bailout a private benefit to its policyholders means that Ensign Peak cannot be tax exempt and thus owes billions in taxes. The bailout was one of several ways Ensign Peak disregarded our tax laws according to Mr. Nielsen's sworn reports. But Ensign Peak's two decades of violations went beyond the tax laws. Uh, this is pretty, uh, pretty straightforward. They're basically saying you bailed out beneficial life using $600 million from the fund of EPA, which was for from a nonprofit organization to bail out a for-profit organization. And they consider that a private benefit. The private benefit means it benefited somebody specifically. It was not um, a, a general bailout that, that uh, benefited everybody. It specifically benefited uh, the church in that it got to uh, not have to declare bankruptcy there was also, you know, board of the some of the board of directors of Beneficial Life are apostles themselves, and probably most of the uh, policy, most of the first presidency and uh, quorum of the twelve probably own Beneficial Life insurance uh, policies, which means they basically save their own policies in case they die, which is kind or of their own when, something. <laughs> yes, when you're 98 years old, those life insurance policies are pretty. Uh, uh, Take out a whole important. new meaning. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I think that was a moment as we all watched the 60 Minutes interview where the interviewer said, did you take money from your nonprofit to, you know, financially help your for profit? And everyone kind of held their breath. And he said, we uh, the the representative from the church, uh, Bishop Wallen, said we had sufficient resources to handle this or something like that. So I think that was a big moment if people really understood what it meant. And right here in this uh, statement, he's saying, look, you said it on air right there. Now, he also uh, uh, he also did say, well, David Nelson didn't know what was happening. He didn't have all of the facts. And several people have said, well, maybe they gave him a loan. Uh, and that loan had interest and they have to pay that loan back with interest, which he did say most of that money has been paid back 
and that that would then represent a basically an investment for the fund and it's not really a bailout but it's rather a loan with an investment return the problem is when they asked okay where's the paperwork for that the church refused to give it to him and he goes on to make some other accusations here that uh, i hadn't heard before that are that are kind of important um so do you want to read the next paragraph yeah, let's just take turns reading. And again, a lot of this stuff just stated the way it's stated. I had not really heard before. So to me, this was extremely interesting. So um, he goes on to say in a bolded heading, 20 years of deception by misstatements to the SEC. He says, Mr. Nelson made whistleblower reports to both the IRS and the SEC about violations by Ensign Peak. The cases are linked. Mr. Nelson showed the SEC how Ensign Peak's unlawful SEC misstatements were calculated to conceal its tax violations. The SEC recently found almost two decades of misstatements, and this is always in quotes, misstatements involving Ensign Peak and the church in violation of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934. Congress made a willful violation of this law a felony. The SEC's action is but the first of many steps in essential government scrutiny, and next are the IRS and the Department of Justice. Why would an organization violate the law and misstate for almost 20 years facts that it was legally required to disclose? As Mr. Nilsson has reported and attested under oath, the organization's chief investment officer explained it. Making these disclosures in Ensign's Peak name would risk the firm by endangering its tax-exempt status. I think we all probably remember in the 60 Minutes uh, interview where David Nilsson said that, you know, he followed the guy after the meeting and said, what does this mean? And he said, Dave, we could lose our tax-exempt status. Um, and that's as reported by Dave Nilsson. So that indicates that the lead that uh, the top leaders at Ensign Peak knew that this could be a violation and that they could, they seemed to be scared that they would lose their tax exempt uh, uh, status if this was known. And that's why they were uh, making these forms and filling out these forms they were. So that's the link he's trying to make. They filled out these forms, these 13 Fs, they intentionally filled them out wrong so that they, wouldn't be caught that they had all of this money and that they were actually giving that money uh, away um, and using it for uh, for-profit uh, entities. And that's- the And they were highly motivated to do that because they need that tax exempt status. Absolutely. And I oh. think it was Jana Reese in another article that said, um, filing these F-13s or 13s Fs um, in, a, in the incorrect way, that's not a mistake as we've kind of heard doing it for this period of time, decades, that's a decision that someone made. It's not just a simple mistake. It's actually a decision. And, and I have to say, I think I agree with that. There doesn't seem to be any other explanation. Yeah, you don't, you don't set up 13 shell companies by accident. Um, right. They were clearly Correct. set up to do this. Um, yeah. So, okay, he goes on uh, in the next bolded uh, uh, sentence. He says, facts negating tax exempt status. What facts was this official referring to that threatened Ensign Peak's tax-exempt status? While a thorough audit and investigation by the IRS and Department of Justice must answer that question fully, Mr. Nelson has revealed plenty. 
Mr. Nelson states, as Ensign Peak's investment fund amassed billions of dollars derived from tithing funds, large assets were deleted from its books, a practice I pointed out was improper, but was shocked to learn continued. And instead of using these billions in its investment fund for religious, charitable, or educational purposes, it used its funds to build a luxury shopping mall, about $1.4 billion, and to bail out a for-profit insurance company, about $600 million. These are clearly prohibited private benefit, again in quotes, transactions, which are enough to negate tax-exempt status. And what policyholders personally profited from this bailout of $600 million? Didn't the bailout benefit any Ensign Peak and church leaders who held policies? with money that should instead have been used for charitable, religious, or educational purposes. And that was all bolded. Church leaders such as Thomas S. Monson promoted those policies and approved the bailout. Any such private inurement would also disqualify Ensign Peak from tax-exempt status. So does the deletion of large assets from Ensign, so does the deletion of large assets from Ensign Peak's books. So basically what he's saying, a private inurement is uh, when you use a religion, if you're set up as a religion, you cannot use that money to benefit one person or a small group of people. And that's what he's claiming is by bailing out uh, the beneficial life, they basically save the policies of themselves. And probably I'm imagining a lot of the church employees also have uh, these policies and that that's what they were doing was they were bailing them out uh, for their own good, not really for the good of the public uh, or any other reason. It was for themselves. So as a church, if, if you're a church, you can't you can't uh, take all of these profits from a, the, you can't take the ties from a church and then use them as the preacher and you they go only to you. Because then you're not a church. People have tried. People have tried. <laughs> we know cases where people have tried that. very public, right? Smaller scale, of course. But yeah, you cannot do that. Yeah. And and you can only give them to yourself if that's a salary. You have to then yes. disclose, you, you know, you have to use that as a salary. And th in this case, this isn't a salary. Uh, you know, they're giving it to a, a specific entity that's owned by this institution. So that's exactly that's the, what what did you think about uh, the section in there where it said the deletion of large assets from Ensign Peak's books? I've heard that mentioned before, but just touched on like, I'm not really sure exactly what that means. But I know David Nelson said that that there may be missing assets that there doesn't seem to be any explanation for where they went. Yeah, I read that carefully because I've heard that possibly the, that the uh, apostles and the general authorities are paid out of this fund. And that's why they make the claim that okay. uh, that they're not paid by ties of the church. They're going to claim they're that paid by interest on the ties of the church. However, uh, as I read this carefully, he only makes mention of the 600 million and the mall. So I think he's only talking about those two assets. But it is possible from the way he stated it that he is inferring that there may be more large assets uh, or transfers of funds that came out of this account that that nobody uh, that aren't accounted for uh, or right. that have been hidden from the public. Yeah, I felt there might he might be inferring something. But again, that's just an inference and we can't really comment. But it, it makes you think there may be more more to come out. We don't know. <laughs> We're still trying to unravel this. It's tricky. Do you want me to read the next uh, paragraph sure. yep. here? 
Absolutely. Okay, this is in bold, fake numbers and false responses to the IRS. And what about fake numbers and false responses on IRS returns? Like its misstated SEC filings, Ensign Peak filed IRS returns that listed the book value of its billions in assets as only 100, no, just 1 million. I'm reading that wrong. Only 1 million. (laughs) Ensign Peak's uh, returns also attested under oath that it had no foreign accounts. Only once detected did Ensign Peak stop this deception. Only after Mr. Nelson's original IRS submission was leaked against Mr. Nelson's wishes, he's the lawyer is making this clear, in late 2019, Ensign Peak admitted in its recent IRS returns that it does indeed own foreign accounts. And only then did Ensign Peak begin to make its SEC filings in its own name as the SEC found. So everything started to change in 2019, the way that they reported, the way that they revealed information, everything started to change in 2019 when David Nelson's report became more public. Which is incredible when they say they're unfounded allegations, yet they made a whole lot of changes as soon as he made the allegations, which tells you they knew that they'd been caught. And this is really, this is really to me important. They're saying that they filed out, they filled out IRS returns that showed that these uh, these accounts that had billions of dollars in them were only worth a million dollars. They falsified IRS forms is what they're saying. And that they, under oath, under oath, they said that they had no foreign accounts when in fact, they're saying they now, it's now been found that they do have foreign accounts when they started filling out uh, the forms right. So I picture them saying something like, oh, oh, those, we forgot about those. We forgot about those. We're just old men. We don't know anything about it. Yeah, it. (laughs) And and it's the interesting thing in the paragraph above was if if you caught that was Mr. Nelson said that he told them that this was not allowed. So they were clearly advised that they were breaking uh, the the law and they ignored it. So again, it was a decision to do this. Uh, This was not accidental, bad filing. You don't act accidentally, you know, this is like you filling out your income tax and saying that you made uh, $1 when you made $100,000 that year. You can't overlook that every year and say, wow, I only owned, earned a dollar this year. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> and not say, wow, there may be a mistake here. But instead, you sign the form and send it in saying you only made a dollar. Uh, exactly. And we have examples of the higher ups that prepared these kinds of forms for other companies they owned privately and did the forms perfectly. And yet when they are are handling these for Instant Peak, they were prepared in this other way. And we actually did an episode sort of um, about this, didn't we, Landon? I think we'll link this in the notes, too. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. There, there's been a lot of talk about this, so... Very interesting. Yeah, there's definitely seems to be something going on and and he's making they're making the claim and he and according to the lawyer, they're presenting, they've given this to the uh to the IRS. Uh so the right. IRS has had this information. Um and so he's calling on him, you need to do an investigation exactly. uh, because we've sh- we've given you, and I think he's kind of calling out the IRS in this mm-hmm. uh in this letter. So okay, the next paragraph 
in bold, recent change in tactics designed to confuse. In Ensign Peak's public statements over the past three years, to our knowledge, Ensign Peak never disputed that its investment fund was not, not in bold, used for religious, charitable, or educational purposes through 2019. Now, three years later, the church has attempted to dispute Mr. Nelson's sworn statement that Ensign Peak never used its $100 billion investment fund for religious, charitable, or educational purposes. But when 60 Minutes challenged the church to provide documents disproving Mr. Nelson's statement, the church apparently declined. So he said, hey, for the three years since 2019 that you've known about this, um, you never said that it was not used. You, you always gave the indication that it was used for religious, charitable, and educational purposes. And now when, when you're called to the carpet, um, you, you are saying that, uh, that, it, that it wasn't used for, that it uh, was used for these purposes. Um, and they're going, that's misleading. For three years, you never said that. And now all of a sudden you're changing your story when 60 minutes comes around. Um, in fact, this is where he kind of says, okay, you said that it was a loan that was going to be made. Let's, let's get the documents, show us the documents so right. we can see the loan. And the church is like, no, we're not showing you the documents. So how easy would it be just to show the paper trail? Look, this is what we did. Here it is. Here that it is. is how you defend yourself. If you are really telling the truth, especially in this scenario, you will have a massively documented paper trail that you can show to anyone to explain what was happening. And, and again, even if they gave a loan, if that loan was 0.5% interest, that turns into a private annulment again, because you don't get a loan for that amount of money. You are using non-tax, you know, uh, tax deferred dollars or tax non-tax dollars, non-profit dollars to, to bail out a profit. You're giving them a benefit that they wouldn't otherwise have just because the fact that you're linked to them. And so he's pointing that out <laughs> and saying that, all right, church, show us the documents. You tell us that we misunderstood it. Give us the documents so we can understand it. But we all know that you're not that much to ask <laughs> is not going to do that. So, okay. We're down so to the last easy. We could stop making episodes if they would That's just right. do that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make a whole episode that said the documents are in and we'll sure show is. everybody everything. So we'd love to do that. So, all right, we're down to the final sections here. Um, this one in bold says this 100 billion investment firm is not tax exempt and owes billions in taxes. And that's really what this whole thing boils down to, isn't it? Billions of dollars in taxes are owed. Um, it says Ensign Peak has failed to come close to being tax exempt, not even close. <laughs> and the reasons are many. Our laws require that for an entity such as Ensign Peak to be tax exempt under IRC 501c3, it must be operated exclusively for religious, charitable, or educational purposes. Ensign Peak has consistently failed to operate in this way. It also cannot engage in private benefits transactions, such as the $600 million bailout of a private for-profit insurance company. Ensign Peak has failed to abide by this limitation, nor can it engage in any private inurement transactions. This would include benefits to any leaders of Ensign Peak or the church 
who had policies with the bailed out insurance company. Moreover, Mr. Nielsen's reporting the deletion of large assets from its books warrants a full IRS and DOJ audit and investigation to determine where these assets are now and to identify anyone who has benefited from deleting these accounting records. Deleting accounting records strongly suggests private inurement. So he just kind of goes through everything right there. All of the reasons that Ensign Peak, as he said, has failed in even coming close to be tax exempt. And that I found that paragraph very enlightening because there they are right there, all spelled out. This is what David Nelson is saying. Yeah, and this to me is a bombshell. They're accusing them of deleting accounting records. They're saying you got rid of the records and destroyed the evidence um, of these transactions. And, and that is against the law, you're hiding something. Um, and so that to me is a real bombshell that they're accusing them of deleting accounting records. Now, I, I'm not an accountant, I'm not an attorney, I don't know these things, but I do know that you have to hold on to tax records for a certain amount of time. And I don't know how long that is for corporations. I think it's different for corporations than it is for individuals. Yes, it uh, is. But, you know, for the church, the longer this drags out without the IRS investigating it, uh, they can start destroying records in the past, you know. So unless the IRS serves them with something that says you are no longer allowed to destroy anything related to this uh, lawsuit, the church could go ahead and destroy all these old records while the IRS is doing a, 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 an investigation. And I think that's why they're saying, look, it's time for you guys to do this investigation. We provided you this information three years ago. Uh, you need to do an investigation. And people are going to point out from this paragraph here, you know, that, you know, they're claiming that the, that the church would owe uh, uh, billions in taxes if they lose their uh, tax-exempt status. Uh, David Nelson would get a large portion of that. Mm -hmm. As part of this whistleblower act, I think you get like a third of whatever's yeah. recovered. Whatever so, is recovered. That's absolutely how it works for any whistleblower that draws attention to any kind of malfeasance in a company. They are they do receive a portion of what is recovered. So, you know, you're going to hear the church say, yeah, oh, he's just doing this for the money. He's trying to collect the money. Um, I actually think that this is a benefit um, for those for the rule of law, because uh, we heard during the uh, during the 60 Minutes episode, we heard the IRS agent say there wasn't the political will to investigate this. Uh, that it was highly dangerous uh, to, I think is the words he used to, to yeah. pursue investigation. In this. Yeah, there was yeah. great risk, which great was risk so involved. interesting to hear coming from an IRS agent, that political risk. And it was very, it was a little confusing to hear that because I think a lot of people think, just look into it. If they're exonerated, they're exonerated. <laughs> but, the, but the fact that he stands to make, make money if this is investigated and found to be true, I don't know about this. Uh, we'd have to have some legal people weigh in on this, but does he now have a case to go to the IRS and say, I filed a claim, I standed to make money off of this, and you didn't do your job and do the investigation exactly. that was required of it, exactly. and you cost me hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in recovered uh 
award that I could have had had you investigated this and found what I told you was true to be true. And so I don't know if that gives him any standing. It's hard to sue the government. I know there's a lot of laws that say you can't sue the government, but uh, you may be able that there may be an opportunity there that he can sue the government. At least he has the right to go in and say, I've provided the paperwork. I yes. stand to, to profit from this if if they were in fact doing something illegal. And the, the great thing about this is, hey, he only stands to make money if you were in fact doing something illegal. That's right. If, That's if why those attacks against him. Nothing to worry about. Exactly. That's why those attacks against him are ridiculous because he only does benefit if there was something going on that was not correct so all right um do you want to read the last paragraph there let's see what are we on the risk to the rule is that what we're on the yep. very final yep. one okay in bold letters it says risk to the rule of law requires irs and department of justice action so he says to quote uh, professor hackney again there's a real risk to the rule of law if the IRS does not come in and enforce these rules, that was another quote from the 60 minutes. It was, yeah, it was Professor Hackney who was talking about why the IRS doesn't seem to be jumping on it. And I'll read it again. He says, there's a real risk to the rule of law if the IRS does not come in and enforce those rules. The evidence provided by Mr. Nelson, including the bailout now admitted by the church, should be fully investigated by the IRS and the Department of Justice. They must not shrink from the responsibility of enforcing the rule of law. Otherwise, a powerful, well-connected organization will be seen as escaping the equal application of our laws, above the law, in other words. And that is a very dangerous precedent if there is an organization that is above our law. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's really, uh, if you go into the Salt Lake Tribune uh, article that they, uh, and we're going to, we're going to read a couple quotes from there in just a minute. Uh, they, they went to him and asked some questions about this and it, it became apparent, you know, during the 60 minutes interview, they asked, you know, why now? And he said, well, I felt like the time is right. Um, he, he makes mention that he gave every professional courtesy to the IRS. Uh, and it sounds to me like he's sick and tired of nothing happening. He's like, I filed this three years ago. Right. I, I tried to keep it quiet. I didn't leak it. I was going to let you guys do the investigation with nobody knowing where I stood to, you know, where no one would accuse me of knowing things or, or I wanted to be completely anonymous and have you guys do an investigation, but you haven't done it. And now it's time. And now I'm going to let 60 minutes know, and I'm going to let uh, the press know about this and I want an investigation. I want my complaint investigated to see if- Especially on the heels of the SEC, right? Especially that on was that. investigated and they were found it's like guilty. It, what I told so. you there was fact. Why aren't you believing me, IRS? Yep, and let's look at the DOJ, rest. Why aren't you in investigating and believing me now that you've seen what happened with the, uh, with the SEC? So um, I do want to show- uh, We'll go back to the uh, slides here. There, there were a couple things that were said uh, in the interview uh, that that uh, he actually addresses, uh, that Mr. Sullivan addresses with the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, and that's the church's response, basically bl blaming, or the uh, uh, Bishop uh, Waddell's response, Waller, where yeah. he 
where he said, oh, it was the lawyers uh, that did it. Um, so this is this is out of the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, the story is called Pressure Builds to Investigate LDS Church Wealth in uh, Sunday Salt Lake Tribune. It says, at the time of the settlement, the Utah-based faith, while expressing regret for its filing mistakes, in quotes, said it considers this matter closed, in quotes. Church officials blamed the reporting violations flagged by the SEC on misguided advice from attorneys saying, we affirm our commitment to comply with the law. Sullivan said Friday that blaming the church attorneys for the deception was not credible. It's incredibly disingenuous to say that, well, we were relying on our lawyers and making misstatements for 20 years in violation of the law. He, he said, if that were true, Sullivan added, the SEC would have uh, prosecuted the lawyers. Those lawyers probably wouldn't have licenses today. And that's what uh, many of the you know, uh, post-Mormon world has been saying on the podcast all over the place is, um, no, if, if the lawyers were involved and you blame the lawyers, you would have had to open up your, uh, you would have had to drop all uh, requirements, uh, privilege with your law firm and let the SEC come in and investigate what those lawyers were telling you. And if those lawyers were advising you, what they were advising you was against the law, then those lawyers would be disbarred for what they did. And this is 20 years. You think it was the same lawyer that was that would have been advising them of this for 20 years? And we know for a fact that the church's own audit department twice found this and told them. And according to, to Mr. Nielsen, he also told them that this was that what they were doing was wrong. Um, and so the church leaders knew that this was wrong and they chose to ignore it. Um, and so uh, he brings that out in, in the paper and addresses, uh, this was repeated ag again, I think in the uh, Deseret News when they released their thing. Yeah, they again. mentioned that again. And when I talked about the episode we had done before, it was an episode where we kind of aggregated um, the defenses of why the SAC situation might have happened. And that was one of the number one ones that most um, faithful Mormons believe that they were just a victim of faulty you know, advice from attorneys. That was a huge reason that they were able to think, okay, this is why it happened. But as Landon's pointing out, that would have been their defense. They, they actually probably would have gotten off with it, right? By saying that our lawyers told us and they would have been, a, we'd still be in the middle right now of a big investigation. That would have been opened up. What advice did they get? When did they get it? Who gave them the advice? Um, it would have allowed the church to remove themselves a little bit, but that didn't happen because the lawyers did not give them bad advice. So, yeah. And I want to bring, if you look at this graph that we have on here, uh, our friend uh, Spencer Anderson, uh, accounting professor at University of Illinois, gave us this uh, that was put out by the widow's might. And this points out how serious what they did at the SEC was. All, all the uh, members are wanting to say, oh, it was just a traffic ticket. It was just a small paperwork violation. Uh, this shows how rare it is that anyone gets prosecuted for Section 13F violations. It hardly ever happens. You can see here from 2007 was the last time it looks like anyone was fined for this. So almost, what's that, uh, 2007, 21, 14, 15 years, nobody yeah. was charged for this no because, because it's so easy to fill out that nobody's ever made a mistake on it. But you look at that red line, the church was fined $5 million. That's 
That's 50 times the largest fine that anyone was ever fined for this. This is huge. This was punitive. This was, they were pushing and saying, you intentionally did this. This was horrendous. This was deceitful. And you're going to pay a large fine. So for an organization that has billions of dollars, five million is not large. But this, this graph is really telling because it shows just how egregious the SEC saw this uh, this hiding of the money to be by the church. And, well, and, and that so, was another thing that we found out uh, when we sort of polled uh, faithful members. They said it was $5 billion. That's nothing, nothing at all. You don't understand it in perspective. <laughs> it is nothing to a $150 billion fund, but 50 times what you would normally be fined. It does say something. Yeah. If and, you and not no, what you'd normally what be fined, 50 times right. what the largest fine ever before yes. that was. Yes. A normal company would probably be fined just a few hundred dollars. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, the biggest fine prior to that was $100,000 uh, by Quattro. Uh, before that, twelve thousand yes. dollars. So uh, this this was a huge uh, fine uh, for it was a what they did. Statement, like you said, it was a statement. Absolutely. There there were a couple other things in, in the interview with the Salt Lake Tribune, um, and for those of us that watched, we were maybe a little uh, depressed, I guess, by what we found. Disheartened it, is the word I think a lot yes, of people. Disheartened is probably the correct <laughs> word. Yes. Uh, about the fact that it looked like nobody was going to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, now, Mr. Sullivan uh, in the in the Salt Lake Tribune, it says, for his part, Sullivan said in an interview Friday, the IRS has confirmed um, within the past, I mistyped that, within the past <laughs> six weeks, that the evidence and analysis submitted on Nielsen's behalf is under consideration by the appropriate people. So he's saying within the last six weeks, uh, this evidence has been submitted to the right people at the IRS. Now, that doesn't mean the IRS is going to do anything with it. It just means it's been submitted. Um, and that, I guess, was the the disheartening part of the uh, Salt Lake Tribune piece, uh, because they actually contacted the office uh, of the U.S. Senate Finance Committee, who would be in charge of investigating this through the IRS and their subcommittees, the senators that are in charge of the IRS and this type of work, um, uh, they came back and it turns out that the chairman of the committee is Sen Senator Ron Wyden, a Democrat from Oregon, and its re ranking Republican member is Senator Mike Crapo, Republican from Idaho, who is a Latter-day Saint. So the hmm. this is what the IRS agent was saying that had political risk and not the political will, uh, because you've got one member who is uh, a Latter-day Saint who probably has been to the temple and has probably made a covenant that he would, uh, you know, give everything protect he has church. to the, protect the church, <laughs> protect the name of the church, protect the church. Yeah. And so which prophet? oath is Absolutely. he going to follow at this point? Uh, his oath as a Senator or his oath as a church member, which one's more important to him at this point. Um, the other Senator, Senator Rod Wyden is not a, uh, a member of the church. However, uh, Oregon has a fair number of LDS people yeah. and a large constituency that would be LDS. Um, they also uh, made a call for uh, Senator Michael Bennett, 
who is uh, over one of the subcommittees, the Panels on Taxation subcommittee, and he's a Democrat from Colorado, which also has a large LDS uh, constituency in it. Uh, so you can see the landmines that uh, politically the church is counting on to uh, disarm uh, this uh, investigation. And that's why I think uh, Mr. Sullivan came out punching, saying, you, you IRS have a responsibility to investigate this. You cannot let the politicians derail this. You have a responsibility to investigate. So it looks like it's been put in the hands of somebody whether that gets upset by uh, politicians or not, uh, we, we may not find out. The, the IRS does not comment on whistleblower allegations. Mm -hmm. uh, therefore, we probably, unless there's actual charges that come out of it, we may never know if or what they did. Uh, but it does look like maybe the, the, the documents are in the right hands to, to begin being looked at. The SEC did something. Let's see if the IRS right. and, the, and the Department of Justice will do the same. That's right. It happened. And I think maybe you stand on the shoulders of the SEC a little bit, you know, maybe, yep. maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a positive step forward. But I just found this very interesting. I mean, it really brought to light uh, lots of things or just maybe clarified some things that I hadn't really seen before. And I feel like the pressure is definitely on now with the 60 minutes interview and people kind of waking up and saying, wait, what? <laughs> so I think, I think, we're going to see a lot more. I can be hopeful. I'm I'm determined not to be disheartened anymore and to maybe be hopeful. What about you? <laughs> yeah, no, this gave me a little bit of hope that it will at least yeah. be investigated. And if the church didn't do anything, great. Well, let's see exactly. it. But, let, but, yeah. but it's hard to believe when we just saw what happened with the SEC filings yes. that they're honest yes. and they're dealing with the IRS, just not with the SEC. David Nelson has proven to be accurate with what he has alleged so far. And uh, after watching the show, I really found that he was a more believable yeah. uh, witness, if you want to say, than the church's spokesman, uh, Bishop Waddell was. Um, so I, I'd like to, I don't want to make a judgment based on hearsay or non-evidence. I want to see what happened. Mm -hmm. Show us, show us. If you did nothing wrong, it should be easy to show us. Uh, but yeah. the hiding is the problem. And that's, that's where they're losing the trust. So well, let's we found out it's not secrecy. It's not secrecy. It's confidentiality. And That's we right. learned that while we thought those were synonyms, they're not. Synonyms are hard. So, you know, there's a difference there. But anyway, all right. Enough of all this. Uh, we just found this very interesting. I had not heard from the lawyer before or even known who he was. So now we're a little more in the know about that. And we will continue to keep everybody informed as things happen. Do you have any final statement, Landon? Or we will finish up here. I think it's time to finish up. We wanted to keep this short and just let people know yep. uh, about this because it came out after the 60 Minutes episodes. Exactly. So we'll put a lot of links in the show notes for different things that we've mentioned and go ahead and dig in yourself. There's a lot to go through there. And again, the widows might, we can't say enough um, how wonderful that group is in getting information out, transparency and clarity. Um, you can go to their website, the widows might, and they have a lot of information there that you can do your own digging and let us know what you all think in the comments. What have you found? What have you learned um, about this topic? Uh, what, what do you hope for going forward?
forward. So please communicate with us. We love it. And don't forget to like and subscribe to Mormonish and hit the notification bell if you'd like to be made aware when new episodes come out. And we'll say goodbye for, for now. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.